the three stages of sanctification, the three stages of sanctification. It's a topic that we probably all know about. Maybe we aren't familiar with these three these three terms that we'll use to describe them, but it kind of gives it hopefully it'll give you a better idea about what sanctification is, and we'll go through that and ultimately it is becoming more like Christ, becoming more like Christ. This is a topical Bible study tonight where we look at the topic of sanctification and we are going to look at many different verses. I have a lot of scripture up here and you are more than welcome to try to turn to it in your Bible if you like. Otherwise, they will be up here on the screen for you and I hope um, this helps you. Hope you'll be able to share it with others as well. So let's begin. What is sanctification? Means to set apart, to set apart, to come out. When we are saved, we are sanctified unto God. We're set apart. We're coming out of an old life and we're coming into a new life. And the three stages of sanctification, they're often referred to as past, present, and future sanctification. These are all different terms for the exact same thing. Positional, progressive, and perfect sanctification, which is the one I chose to use for this lesson tonight. And then we have justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those are probably, maybe the most common used terms because they distinguish the meaning a little bit more straightforward than the other ones. But it's all talking about the same thing. And we will, um, some key verses we have for it is, therefore being justified by faith, we have Pete, Did it happen to him too? It got lost? Okay, we'll see if we can get it back again. Peace we got through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> we got it. There we go. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is of God, made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So the first one, positional sanctification positional sanctification what is that it happens at the moment a person is born again it happens the moment a person is born again hebrews 10:10 10, 10 says by the which we we are sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all so the first thing i see about posi- um, positional sanctification is that we're reconciled to God. We are reconciled to God. When Adam sinned in the garden, a relationship had been broken. Sin had entered in. A choice had been made which separated man from God in a drastic way. And there was no way that we could mend that relationship outside of Jesus Christ. People try. People try to work to mend that relationship. But it does not happen without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so when a person trusts Christ as their Savior, that means they repented of their sins. By faith, they've placed their trust in Jesus Christ, realizing that that is the only thing that can save them. When we talk to people, it's very easy to find out that they don't believe that in their heart. They really don't believe that in their heart. But when that does take place, we immediately are reconciled unto God. And that relationship is restored. Is it, is it totally, I would say, is it, is it totally complete in the sense uh, that we have, you know, uh, 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 <laughs> that we have a oneness? 
we're in it's a process but but in the in the beginning here we are reconciled to God and that relationship has been mended and it starts to begin the verse we have is 2 Corinthians 5:19 to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation and Romans 5:10 says for if when we were enemies, we, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So positionally, when we trust Christ, we're reconciled, but it puts us sanctified to God. So when God looks at us, he sees that we are set apart. We are no longer part of the world, but we are sanctified unto God. And one of the benefits of that is that we are reconciled to him. Another one is, is that we are freed from sin. We are freed from sin. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. When the law was put in place, sometimes referred to as uh, the law of Moses and the commandments that God gave the Israelites to live by when they came out of the land of Egypt, people were, they, they misunderstood what that was all about. And it wasn't about trying to, to, to keep every little thing that God said in order to be saved. That's not at all what it was. It was to, for, for, for them to be able to realize that it's not possible. It was a schoolmaster to bring us really under subjection and to get to the place where we cough it up that we can't do it. I met people who are deceived and think that they can just keep it up and that they can make it if they just try harder, if they just do better. But that's not what, it was, that's not what it's for. Sin still has dominion over the, us until we are freed from that sin at salvation and we are free from it. Oftentimes we find, we find people who are, well, let me put it this way. Maybe I'll have a husband who calls me about his wife and they're having issues and they're having troubles they don't know what to do they want a bunch of change they want a bunch of change they want this person to stop sinning stop doing these bad things and they what can i do give me some tools what can i do and i try to shoot right to the point right away and ask the question is she saved well no i don't think she is okay so how we're just not looking for a bunch of surface change, are we? I mean, we can, people can fake that for a while, but until Christ comes in and miraculously changes their life and a, and, and a new life begins, freedom from that sin is not possible. Brother, Brother Steve, you see that all the time in RU when people come and they have these addictions and they want freedom from it. They want freedom from this sin that's controlling their life, but they can't have it unless they have Jesus Christ. And when we have that, we have freedom from sin. And Romans 6, 17 and 18 says, But God be thanked that, that uh, ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So immediately at salvation, the process of sanctification, you were positionally set apart unto God. So when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you like all the heathen people in the world. He looks at you as, as one of his own children. And we're reconciled. The relationship's been restored. And we are free from sin. And we are no longer serving sin, but now we are transformed and we are 
made to serve righteousness instead of ungodliness and wickedness. Another thing that we see here is that we are given the Holy Spirit. We are given the Holy Spirit upon salvation. Romans 8, 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There's groups out there who, who think that you can be saved, but not have the Holy Spirit dwell inside you. They think that you have to become more sanctified unto God, which is, which is maybe what we would call a progressional sanctification. We'll get to that in a little bit. But that, you, that not every believer possesses the Holy Spirit. That's not true. Simple, I mean, I think the Bible's pretty plain and clear. Plain and clear. Plain and clear. Much clearer than that. It means what it says. It doesn't stumble and mumble, does it? <laughs> Believe that the average person can understand the Word of God. I don't think you need a theological degree to figure it all out. I appreciate pastors and preachers who dedicate themselves to maybe pull out things that, that maybe you wouldn't get on the normal and that God gives specifically for you. That's great. But I believe that any person can understand. And when I read Romans 8 and 9, it's pretty plain and clear that if you are saved, you have the Spirit of Christ. If you do not, it says at the end there, he is none of his. He is none of his. And they get this, that you have to constantly be coming more like Christ. And when you get to some sort of level that, yes, you'll have the Holy Spirit. And, they, and some of these groups, um, they associate it with speaking in tongues and different spiritual gifts and things. But I want you to note this next verse, which comes from 1 Corinthians. And it's chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, what? Same guy who wrote Romans. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? A little backstory to the book of Corinthians is if you've read it and you know what it says, they, these believers in Corinth were wicked people. Probably to the average person in here, if you saw one of these believers in Corinth, and they told you about the activities that they participated in and the things that they did, we would assume that they are not Christians. I mean, it was that bad. To the place where Paul says, even the ungodly heathen people don't do what you do. That's pretty bad. Incest among family members and all sorts of immoral activity. And that's just what we know about. In Corinth, from, from archaeological discoveries, they believe that they uncovered you know, different artifacts where, where um, like paintings and sculptures and different things, there was, there was basically open pornography as you walk down the street. So these Christians were definitely influenced by that. They were overcome to an extent by it. They weren't living underneath the Spirit's control, they were living by their own fleshly lusts and desires, but they still had the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to get is, even though we would say they were far from God, the Holy Spirit dwelled in you, because he says, what? 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You're doing these things and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you? It happens the moment of salvation. Again, the fourth thing we see is we are given a new nature. We are given a new nature. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He was putting this very clearly to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an intellectual man, but he missed the point about what Jesus was saying. Jesus said, except a man be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus says such a foolish statement. He says, what? How am I going to go back inside my mother's womb and be born a second time? Jesus was talking a spiritual birth. He goes on to say that every man, they must be born of water. That's a physical birth. But they also must be born of the spirit. And when the spiritual birth takes place in the life of a believer, it's, it's a birth. It's something that's new. It's a life that is just starting. It's a wonderful thing. We are given this new nature. And right at that moment of of spiritual conception we would or spiritual birth this new beginning and this new journey starts and it continues on first second corinthians five seventeen says therefore if any man be in christ he's a new creature the old things are passed away behold all things are become new again we want change in the life of our loved ones our family our friends our neighbors it must begin with a new nature, which happens at the spiritual birth. A new life begins, and that's when real change starts to take place. So, the fifth thing. Oh, no, I got another verse. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is a great uh, five verses. We'll look at them here. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Paul is writing and saying, and he's referring back to that, that time before salvation when we were living ungodly. Even the, even the most, we would say, spiritual, unsaved person. What do I mean by that? I mean the person who's unsaved but is acting as if they're saved, is showing up to church, is showing up to Bible study meetings. Is, I mean, unsaved people who are showing up to door to door. It happens. It happens. Jesus said that, you know, in, uh, that people are going to stand before him and say, but Lord, I prophesied in your name and I did this and I did that. I'm sure there's going to be some. I taught Sunday school and, you know, I helped out in the nursery. That should be enough to get me in. And he's going to say, sorry, depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. And so even those people who seem to be spiritual, they are still children of wrath and walking in disobedience against God. But he talks about this transformation in that first verse about this quickened spirit that we have at the moment of salvation. And he goes on in the next couple verses here. Verse number four, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein he loved us, even we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. So we're given a new nature. 
And fifthly, we are given eternal life. Not only do we possess immediately at salvation all those good things we just looked at, that we're reconciled to God, that's great. Whatever the other ones were. All those other things that we possess, we not only on top of that have a great life here on earth because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but he's also, on top of all that, given us eternal life. I've heard preachers say before that uh, even if there was no hope of heaven, I would still be a Christian because the life that God has given us is that much better than what other people experience. And if you are living the true Christian life, yielding to the Spirit, you know what I'm talking about. But on top of all that, we have eternal life and we possess it. Because in 1 John 5, 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that ye believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have e- that you possess it, that you have eternal life, and that ye and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And Colossians 1 13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son? We were destined on our way to hell. If you ever have a bad day, how many of you get bad days every now and then? I'm talking about bad days. I'm not talking about, you know, your, your favorite TV show got canceled. I'm not talking about they took your favorite item off the restaurant at the menu, uh, on the menu at the restaurant. That's discouraging. But that's not what I'm talking about when you're, really in, when you're really discouraged. Maybe you got a bad diagnosis at the doctor. Maybe financially you're plummeting down. I'll tell you what. Maybe, maybe you have been betrayed by the closest people to you. Think about where you were destined to be And then where Jesus Christ transformed your life, gave you eternal life, and we are no longer destined for hell, but we've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That's enough to get you out of any slump. This life is temporary. It's short. It's going to fly by. I'm going to go to a funeral tomorrow of of my pastor. I mentioned that to you guys on, um, mentioned that to you on Sunday, of my pastor in uh, Little Rock for about eight years. I'm going, it's over. For him, it was quick. It was fast. feels like just yesterday I was in high school. And I was sitting there under his teaching. And I was riding on the bus and we'd go, we were going, uh, we'd go door to door. We'd all load up on a church bus. Remember when, back in the day when churches did that, they load up on the church bus, drive to the neighborhood. Now we just drive ourselves. But it was good days. It's quick. He had health problems, medical problems. It's over. It's gone. It's done. He's in the presence of God at this moment. May we, may we remember and constantly be thinking about eternity. And it's something that we possess right at this moment, our positional sanctification. Nextly, we see the progressive sanctification. Some people refer to this as, I mentioned earlier, present, present sanctification. Progressive sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming holy like Christ. Anybody been saved 20 years. Raise your hand if you've been saved 20 years. Got a lot of those. What about 30 years? 40 years? 50 years? Anybody 60 years? 70 years? Woo! Got a few 70. I won't go anymore. 70 years. Have you, have you arrived yet, Mr. Bob? Miss Peggy Smith, have you arrived in your Christian life? Have you gotten there? 
No. And this is the testimony of two people who love the Lord. They haven't arrived there yet. It's something that we're in a constant, seems like a never-ending journey. Seems like we're always not exactly who we ought to be. It's a process. It's a daily process. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And again, when that new life begins, we've already read this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17, this new life begins, that's when the journey starts. And we, be, we are on this process of becoming like Christ the illustration that gets used often, but I don't know if there's a better illustration out there, is the one of what is sanctification? What is this lifelong process of becoming holy like Christ? How can we relate it? The story of, of somebody who was, was talking to an artist, and he would make sculptures out of big pieces of rock and big pieces of marble. And one day as the man was chiseling along, somebody asked him and said, Sir, how how?" How do you know, I mean, how do you come up with this beautiful picture? Or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a statue resembling somebody, maybe a king or somebody in authority. How do, you, how do you get it just the way you like it? And he says, well, I just continue to chip off anything that doesn't look like the object I'm trying to create. That's exactly what sanctification is. It's in our life, it's the Holy Spirit taking that hammer and that chisel and saying, you know what, that doesn't resemble Jesus Christ. And he starts hammering away at it. And something else, maybe a few, few weeks, a few days later, he says, Holy Spirit says, that's not something that resembles Christ. That attitude, we got to take that away. And he starts working on you and saying, no, no, we're conforming you to the image of Christ. What a wonderful picture. But it seems like the, we try and we try. We don't ever get exactly where we need to be. It's because we still have that old sinful nature that's, in, that's inside of us. But we're going we're gonna to talk about the end result in just a minute. The progressive sanctification. Again, we are growing in the Lord. We are growing in the Lord. 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This process, this continual process of sanctification happens at different levels for different people. Be careful and be weary when a new, belie- when a new believer, when they get saved, that we don't jump all over them and harass them about a bunch of issues that the Holy Spirit is going to take care of himself seen a lot of new believers get offended because overzealous Christians with the right intentions, they tried to force a new believer. It'd be like forcing my, my little son Owen to try to act like a grown-up adult. Is it going to happen? It's not going to happen. He's not going to do it. And as much as I try... There's going to be tears, there's going to be sadness, there's going to be sorrow, and it will not work out. It's an unrealistic expectation. So when believers get saved, we must realize that not everybody is at the same exact spiritual point as everyone else. So, but God's working on you. Think about your life and 
submit to the Holy Spirit. So, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What's a good way to grow in the Lord? How about the word of God? How about the word of God? Sanctify, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If you want to transform your life to be like Christ, the most you can be, get in the word of God. Sign up on the Bible reading board up there. You say, I've never read through a book in my life. Okay, give it a shot. Hey, at least you can say you gave it a shot. What does it do? What does it do? Is, is it that the Bible, I was talking about this at the pastor, I tell myself, we talk about these things, but at the Bible reading party that we had, um, I, I briefly mentioned that, that the word of God, it's, it's not like magic. We're not going to call it magic. But there's something about saying, God, I'm interested in what you are interested in. And even though you may not understand every little thing that's in there, somehow, supernaturally, God begins to change your life just through simple obedience in the reading, in the study, and the meditation of the Word of God. How do you change your life? Psalm 119.9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Taking heed thereto according to thy word. People like to take this passage here and they say, okay, I'm memorizing scripture. You can memorize all the scripture you want, but until you take heed to the word, it's not going to do you any good. People want to memorize scripture. If I memorize scripture, preacher, I'm memorizing scripture. Good. But it's not going to do you a lick of good until you take heed a a. Uh, take heed thereto according to thy word. Taking heed of the word of God. Most of the sin that we commit in our life, it's not because we don't know any better. It's not because we don't know any better. It's because we simply don't follow the word of God. Some people, they say, well, if God would just show me exactly what to do, if God would just give me exactly what I need to do, I will obey. Well, you're not obeying the things you already know that you should be doing. So why is God going to impart on you any more knowledge, any more instruction? Romans chapter 1, he talks about people who had a glimpse at the truth, but they turned it into what they wanted to turn it into. And God turned them over to a reprobate mind, meaning he wasn't going to give them any more truth. And as believers, if we want to grow in the Lord we must not only know the Word of God, which is important about reading it, but we also have to obey it, what it says. Nextly, next we have, we are yielding to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in our lives, he's kind of like a, a referee. A referee. Blowing the whistle. When you start to go out, when you're going out of bounds, he's blowing the whistle. Say, hey, that's out of bounds. Get back in. Constantly blowing the whistle at us. And those of us who are saved, you know what I'm talking about. If you are not saved, you probably have no clue what I'm referring to. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He goes, and when we start to do things that are outside the will of God, he starts to blow the whistle, alerts us, lets us know that that's off limits. But we still have the choice whether or not we do it or whether we don't. So becoming sanctified unto God and becoming more holy like God is this continual process. Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine, wear in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think last time I taught, 
Wednesday night in here, maybe I briefly went over what that is. It's the analogy between being drunk with wine and being uh, filled, with, filled with the Spirit and how somebody who is drunk with wine is under the influence of that alcohol. And as long as they sip on the yak, if you will, they, they are going to be intoxicated and their decision-making is going to be turned by the, by the liquor and by the alcohol. And they're going to be controlled. And when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are constantly yielding to the Spirit, just like the drunk yields to the bottle, when we are yielding to the Spirit, we become filled with the Spirit and the Spirit controls us. But it only happens as long as we stay filled with the Spirit. So it's the constant process of yielding to the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to take that chisel and take away anything that does not resemble Jesus Christ. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. When I look at this passage here, that you present your bodies a what sacrifice? A living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would take, they would take uh, a variety of different animals, and they would usually cut their throats and bleed them out and put them on the altar, and of course, they would be burned. But here we have a different picture. We don't have a picture of a dead sacrifice. We have a picture of a living sacrifice. Do you know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? It wants to get up off the altar. It doesn't want to stay there. It wants to get up and it wants to insert its own will. So it's a constant daily battle yielding to the Holy Spirit and saying, today I'm going to get on the altar. So what do you allow to take you off the altar? Is it your eyes? Things that you look at that you shouldn't supposed to be looking at? Is it your hands, things that you shouldn't be taking that aren't yours? Is it your mind, the thoughts that you allow to go through our mind? Is it your feet, the places, the feet in the places that you're going that are not pleasing to the Lord? What is taking you off the altar which is not allowing you to be continually sanctified unto God? Stay on the altar. If you don't get anything else tonight, think of this. Stay on the altar. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. The last one we have here is perfect sanctification. Perfect sanctification. We, we had positional at the beginning we had, my memory is horrible. Pres we had present, yes, present, progressive sanctification, and we have perfect sanctification. It's the permanent holiness like God. Our faults and our failures, there's going to be a day when we don't have those anymore. The old nature is going to be shed off. We're not going to have the battle with sin that we have. I'm looking forward to it. You know, those of you that have lived much longer and put up with sin a lot more than I have and been exposed, you are looking forward to that. We will be like Christ in our perfect state. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are now the sons of God, and it doth yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are going to be like Christ. At that point, the sculpture is going to be perfect. 
All the things that don't look like Jesus, they're going to be knocked off and we are going to be glorified like he is glorified. And of course, we're not really taking the credit for it. It's all him. It's all what he's done. But we get a little taste of it as well. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We are going to appear in glory. Also, we're going to be free of sin. We are going to be free of sin. Ephesians 5, 27, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. When the church gets presented to Jesus Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's going to be pure. That's you and me. When we're presented unto Christ, we're not going to have our sin anymore. So I can tell you for a fact, we're going to shake it. It's not going to bother us anymore. Also, Revelation 21, 27 says, And there shall be in no wise enter in anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. This goes all the way back to the positional, leadership, positional sanctification we talked about at the beginning. Do I know Christians who have defiled themselves, that have committed abominations, that have done as simple as make a lie and, to, and have told a lie? Do I know Christians that have done that? Well, are they not saved? No, they are saved positionally, they are standing before Jesus Christ free of sin because of the shed blood of Jesus that has washed away and cleansed away our sin. And so even though we have this sin nature and even though we don't still meet the standard which God has for us, when he looks at us, when this life is over, he is, we are going to appear before him as if we have no sin. And it's because of our position in Christ. In the last verse I have for you, I believe it's from Jude here, one twenty-four. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. There's going to be a time where we get to stand before Jesus Christ. And right now, many, many moments in my life I don't feel worthy. I feel unclean. I feel dirty because I still have this sin nature. And there's times when I, when I do things I shouldn't, I think, man, I don't, I don't want to even, I, I would not want to be in the presence of God at this moment. Isaiah said, you know, he went to the presence of the Lord and he said, whoa, unto me for I am a man of unclean lips. But there's going to be a time when all of that is over and we are completely 100% sanctified and then our relationship with God I think is going to be similar to all the way back in the Garden of Eden when God and man had perfect fellowship together. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm looking for. Three stages of sanctification. Positional is a progressive stage and lastly, the perfect or complete stage. And so I hope this helped you a little bit. And uh, good topic, also referred to as justification. Um, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Thank you very much. So appreciate it. We'll pray, and then we'll get into our prayer request. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look over some of these things 
tonight and help every believer in here as we are on this never seemingly never-ending journey of becoming more like like Christ when the Holy Spirit speaks to us and whispers to us and and tells us what to do and what's in the will of God and what's out of the will of God may we listen may we obey the word of God may we not just know it but may we take heed to it and obey it and allow it to change our lives may the desire of every person in this room be to look more and be more like Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.